March Miracles, that's the title of this series. And today's title is Be the Miracle. Turn to the person next to you and say, Be the Miracle. No, you can do better than that. Say, Be the Miracle. Say it real loud to them. Say, Be the Miracle. There you go. Thank you. Appreciate that. Pastor Jonathan Pena is sitting here on the front row. He's our youth pastor. He's an amazing man of God. We've been on the mission, mission field multiple times together. He married the most amazing uh, spiritual daughter we've ever had, and uh, somehow she said yes. But Jonathan is such a man of God, but years ago, he wasn't a man of God. He grew up in a denominational church that did not, um, that did not work for him. He, he, just, he just didn't serve God. When he hit his teenage years, he went away from the Lord. Uh, he was in a Baptist church, so they didn't call it backslidden, um, and, but he would say that he was backslidden. And then somewhere around his senior year, I guess it was, Jonathan, that what you were telling somewhere around his senior year a buddy of his uh named paul pineda started inviting him say hey you need to come to our youth group hey you need to come visit with us man god god ministers to us and we got this cool youth pastor named pastor adam he's crazy you need to come and pastor john and jonathan was like no man i ain't going to more church church is stupid i don't even love god and so jonathan got in a situation where he started chasing another guy's girlfriend and, uh, and, and Paul had been invited, come on, you need, to come to, you need to come to our youth group, you need to come experience God. He's like, no, I'm never going to do that. But he started chasing this other guy's girlfriend, this other guy found out about it. And he told him, he said, listen, he said, we're going to come up to your youth group this Wednesday night, me and my buddies, and we're going to beat the fool out of you for messing with my girlfriend. Well, that Wednesday night came, and Pastor Jonathan felt like, well, the best thing to do is go to Pastor Adam's youth group this week. <laughs> So he came to our youth ministry all because of Paul Pineda. And he came and he got filled with the Spirit of God. He got right with God. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he's a pastor today. All because one friend kept saying, you got to come to our youth group. you got to come experience the realness of God. you got to come know who God really is and stop being religious and just know real God. In one moment... One friend changed the trajectory of this man's life. This man is a pastor who ministers around the nation because one guy said, come on, come on, come try, come, come be a, listen to me. Each and every one of us are called to be somebody else's miracle. God has appointed us and anointed us to help somebody else. And you and I need to get delivered from the processes of being so busy that we never care about anybody else. Turn to the person next to you and say, be a miracle. Come on, say, be a miracle. So today we're going to jump into the book of Acts. And we're going to study this passage in Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 19. If you'll go ahead and turn on your Bibles. You'll scroll down to Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 19. We appreciate all you guys who still read paper Bibles. I just wish you'd stop killing trees, I'm just saying. Because I care about trees so much. I'm being silly. I care for trees. City Councilwoman McCain, I love trees. She drives through the city. We cannot let them chop down that tree. I'm like, yes, ma'am. We will not. We will chain our children to that tree. (laughs) Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 19. Did you find it? I was trying to give you a moment. Say yes. If you're still looking, say I'm looking. All right, I'll give you a second. Hurry up. He spelled Bible, B-I-B-L-E. Still downloading the app. It says in verse 10, it says, uh, now this is the passage where, where Saul has been persecuting Christians. He has been on an assignment from the pit of hell to try to kill off the emerging 
church in the book of Acts. The, the, the early church is being born and it's starting to grow. And Paul, excuse me, Saul is on assignment to kill it because he's a Judaizer. And so he goes into full on attack mode. He's on his way to Damascus. And while he's on his way to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and literally knocks him on his backside and begins to speak to him. When he comes out of this vision, out of this moment with the living God, he's completely blind. He's shaken because he doesn't really even grasp all that's just happened to him. And he goes to his friend's house where he's there in Damascus three days blind. At the same time, God speaks to a man by the name of Ananias. And we'll pick up right there in verse 10. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of, on, of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he is seeing a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the priest, excuse me, the chief priest, to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, say it with me, he said, go, go. say it out loud, say, go. go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, let me kind of put this in perspective. So, Saul is grappling around blind. Now, his name is Saul, but his name is also Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name, his Jewish name. And, um, but he was also, he had, he had Roman citizenship. And so he used the name Paul, which would have been his Gentile name. And he uses that later in scripture. We see him called Paul more than we see him called Saul because he ends up being this minister to the Gentiles. He's the, really the first out of everyone. Now, Peter has some interesting, interesting initiative with the Gentiles and brings them into salvation. But Paul begins to be the apostle to the Gentiles, which is a big deal. Because if you study the Bible, you understand that God, picked the Jews out of all the groupings of people to be his holy people and everyone else became enemies of God when they rejected the Jews and they rejected the God of the Jews and so literally you constantly see in the Old Testament the struggle between the Jews God's people and all the other peoples of the earth really the goal was that the Jews would reach out to the other peoples of the earth and introduce them to the living God but they refused to do it and so what we see here is that Jesus came as a Jew to the Jews. But we see God interacting and saying, no more. Now I want all the peoples of the earth to come to me and they can come through my son, Jesus Christ. And Paul is really the first one to make that it was his calling to go preach and do that. But we know him in this passage 
by his Hebrew name, and that is Saul. And so he's had this moment where he's blinded. He has this moment where he's grappling around blind at, at his buddy's house. And literally, there is this moment where God says to another man, Ananias, Ananias, I need you to go and minister to this man. Now, Paul, now I want you to picture this. He has lived his whole life being able to see. But he has this encounter with God that knocks him on his backside. He comes up, he's blind, and he's sitting in his buddy's house blind for three days. Now, we don't have very many blind people in this room. Um, we do have a couple guys who can't see out of this eye or not see that well. But I was blind for three days. When I was about 24, I guess it was, 23, uh, we, Jamie and I were newly married. <coughs> And our church, we had a big mega church, and this, um, this group called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flame came to our church. Anybody know what that is? Awesome. And so they did this drama, and it was a, an evangelistic drama, and they would come in with their team, and they would get a bunch of your volunteers, and they would put on this big drama, and all your friends and family would come, and when they saw the drama, a lot of people would give their life to Jesus. And one of the scenes in the drama was, was a person committing suicide. And then as they, as they did that, then the next scene was they would stand before God and give an account. Well, they had practiced the night before, and uh, we were a couple days before the drama was to start. And I came walking through the next morning, and it was in the dark in the sanctuary, and I was cutting through to go to my office. And I saw this object kind of down around the front of the stage. It was barely lit up that area. And I, saw, and I walked up to it, and I picked it up, and it was a gun. And it was a gun that they used as a prop in the, in the, in the play. And I'd seen them practice, and one of the things they did was they had a gun with a blank, blank bullets in it. And if you know anything about blank bullets, they still fire. They just don't fire a metal projectile. They just fire. Literally, it's, 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 a, it's a paper wad, and it's supposedly it's supposed to kind of blow up. And, uh, but you, you've seen many of an actor. There's been multiple actors in the past that have literally, being silly, put the gun up to their head with a blank and literally uh, killed themselves accidentally thinking that a blank wouldn't hurt them. And so I grabbed that gun, and I'm looking at it, and, uh, and it's a real gun. I'm like, wow, it's a real gun. And, uh, and, and, and I knew that they had used it in the scene where they put it up to their head. So I, I had enough sense that, you know, not to look at the barrel, but I, you just got to know, I'm Adam McCain. I got to touch it. I got to feel it. I got to pull the trigger. I have to. I have to. There's a trigger. I have to pull it. It's just who I is. You know, I'm Dennis the Menace. You know, I just like, I got, I, I have to. So I'm holding it like that. So I hold it out like this. Because, you know, and I face the barrel that way in case it's a real bullet. It'll be just be stuck in the church wall. I don't know. I wasn't really thinking that far. But I had enough sense not to put it. I wonder if it's got some. I had enough sense not to do that. So I hold it out here and I pull the trigger. Well, I didn't realize they had modified it so that the flame would come out the top of the gun so that in their play that no one got burnt or hurt. And what that is, is that's an explosion of that capsule of that bullet. And so when it did, it blew up in my face. And I was immediately shrapnel, little pieces of metal, uh, the paper wad inside of that, 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 uh, that, that, you know, that bullet uh, was all blown into my eyes. I never had a chance to blink. I mean, it, it never happened. And so they hear it and they come running, they get me and I'm, and I'm screaming, I'm in so much pain. And thank God they didn't take me to the emergency room. They took me straight to an optometrist. And they took me to the greatest little Asian lady on the whole planet. Listen, if you get hurt, go find an Asian person. They're going to do you right. I'll tell you right now. Don't come get me. I'll be like, uh, let me cut you right. I don't know. Maybe we could. I don't know. <laughs> but man, this little Asian lady, she locked me. She said, I fix you. Uh, uh, Pastor, I fix you. It'll be all right. Okay. I don't know if you'll be able to see, but I at least get all the metal out of your eyes. And so she 
pried open my eyes because I couldn't open them. And she, and she locked me into this contraption where I couldn't move my head. And she began to pick out the pieces of metal out of my eyes. And I, my eyes were completely burned. And from that point forward, I could not see. And she says, we'll see how long it takes to see if you regain your sight. But I can't promise you anything. And so my wife shows up and you can see. I can't see. But you can sense the intensity because she's now married to a blind preacher. And so they, they took me home by the hand. I didn't, and, and of course, I'm like, oh my God, my life is over. I mean, my life is over. Because al- I already don't have enough sense to do things right. So, you know, imagine me as a blind preacher. I'll be preaching to you like this. <laughs> and so, and so, so for three days, I mean, everybody comes and lays hands on me. Oh God, don't let Pastor Adam be blind. Oh God, oh God. For three days, you talk about difficult to go to the bathroom. I'm just saying, you don't realize how much you use your eyes. Paul's having this, Saul is having this experience. So he's in an intense moment. And yes, he's calling out God if you're there. The God who spoke to me over there, the one that I thought was not the real God, Jesus Christ, I thought was a, was a fake. You spoke to me. You got to do something. Is this real? What's going on in my life? He's in a total panic situation for three days. He's in the most horrible moment of his life for three days. Everything doctrinally that he believed has just been shaken up. He doesn't know what he believes, why he believes anymore, and he's blind to boot. Oh, but God is so good. And God comes to Ananias in a vision. Look down in your passage. He comes to Ananias in a vision, and he says to him, Ananias, and he responds, yes, Lord. And, and he says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And he begins to give him instruction. He says, because I got this guy named Saul, and I need you to go minister to him. And I love Ananias' response. Heck no. I ain't doing that. And he starts arguing with God. Come on, Christians. He, listen, let me tell you why that can't be the thing to do. That dude's got letters. He's been taking, he's been messing over people. He's got, he's hurting people. He's trying to kill our Christianity. And God's response to Ananias' response is what? Two little word, two little uh, letters. G-O. Go! Exclamation mark. God yells at him. You're like, God, I can't do it. Because let me tell you something. And listen, listen, let me tell you what I believe with all my heart. I believe that Ananias had become offended at this guy named Saul. He never even met him. But let me tell you, for all we know, Saul had put some of Ananias' friends in jail over in Jerusalem. For all we know, he had beat his nephew or his cousin. For all we know, we, we don't know why it is, but Ananias has this thing that he says, no, I'm not going to do what God's telling me to do. I believe that Ananias was glad that Paul was suffering. I think he was like, that's good for him. He deserves to suffer. He's caused other people's suffrage, and he deserves to suffer. I believe that Ananias was ticked off so much that when God said, go do this, he said, no, I don't want to do it because this guy deserves what he gets. I'm glad you knocked him down. I'm glad you blinded him. Now he can't stop your movement, God. But he didn't understand that God had set him up to change the trajectory of this man's life. 
Because listen to me, if there is no Paul, then there is not two-thirds of the New Testament. If there is no Paul, then the doctrine that we understand about grace does not exist. If there is no Paul, there are no Gentiles who are getting saved. Ananias was used by God to change the whole trajectory of this man's life and the movement called Christianity. But in that moment... He didn't see it like that. He just saw, I'm not going to that place. Because do you know where the Judas's house on Straight Street? Who do you think Judas was? He's one of Paul's buddies. If Paul's staying at his house, he's got the same doctrine and theology and the same hatred for Christians that Paul has or saw. Why would I want to now expose myself To those guys. See, here's what's happening. In that moment, Ananias can no longer be an undercover Christian. God's asking him to go expose himself to the very people who are trying to kill him. Up until this point, he could be a good little Jewish boy. And he could go and he could be in the temple. And he can act good and be in the temple. But also, and also be a follower of Christ. But now God's saying, I want you to expose yourself by going over to that place. That place that you don't want to go. That place that's uncomfortable. And I want you to go pray for a man that you hate. Because I got a plan. Listen to me. The very person that's at your office that you want to stab in the throat could be the very person who's going to change entire nations. But you're so offended at them and so frustrated. Can I explain something to you? Lost people act lost. When I was lost, I loved being lost. I loved it. I loved being a pervert. It was awesome. I loved stealing from you. It was great. Because you were stupid enough to leave it sitting there. You deserved to get stolen from. That was my mentality. But once Jesus came into my life, my eyes were open. They are blind because they're blind. They can't see truth because they're blind. They don't see it the way we see it because they're blind. Some of you are watching the news going, oh God, our nation's going to hell in a handbasket. Listen to me. That's because they're blind and you and I are their miracle he's looking for us to lay hands on them so that they can see and and in this moment Saul is crying out where is truth can I tell you something all the people that you that Christian people say oh my god that's so mad that's so good those homosexual people those, those drug-headed people those these people listen do you understand they sit at home in the middle of the night and they say god if you're there and you speak to me but if you won't speak to me then I'll keep living the way I'm living because you must not be real do you understand hurting people want to know God they want to know is he really there But he's never exposed himself to me, so he must not be there. And those who say that they know him, they sure don't act like what he should be like. That's where the breakdown's at. So Ananias, all you theologians in the room, what do we know about him before this moment? Nothing. What do we know about him after this moment? Nothing. He's mentioned in the Bible in this passage. And then from there, we don't really know anything else about him. 
Church historians say some things about him and others say some things. Some say he might have been a part of the 72 that Jesus had intimate relationship with. Some say that, you know, he might have been one of the ones that broke away and went to Damascus, you know, during some of the persecution. And and, and he was used later and things like that. But nobody knows for sure because the Bible never says anything else about him. My point to you is this. You may not change the world. But the one person that you get yourself out of your comfort zone and go minister to may be the person who goes on in history to be one of the greatest world changers of all time. And when it comes to heaven and the resources of heaven and heaven keeping tabs, whatever that person accomplished will be added and credited to your account. That's what the Bible says. It says, for when you serve a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. That's what it's talking about. So the person here who's back there watching children and, and, and putting poo-poo diapers in the thing, they're going to receive the same reward that I receive for preaching the gospel here in front of you because they're serving. Those rewards are being added up in heaven. And don't you understand, we will receive a reward in heaven. Yeah, don't think that we're just doing this thing so we can get to heaven. There, listen, I serve the Lord with all my heart, and he promised me that I would have rewards not only in this life, but in the life to come. So Ananias... Is in this moment of frustration, but he says, okay, I'll do it. And look at the difference by the time he shows up. You with me? Look at, look at verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, what does he say? What's the first thing he says? Say it with me. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. You went from he's the devil and deserves to die to now you're calling him Brother Can I tell you the breakdown? He gets past his offense. He releases Saul from what he deserves to receive. And he walks into the room having already embraced him in his heart. Do you know why we don't see miracles? Because we never embrace people in our heart. He's brave, but I bet on the way over that thing, I'm going to love this man. Lord, I'll do whatever. This guy's going to be the greatest man of God ever. I'm going to embrace this man. I'm going to love this man. I'm going to speak in his life. And the moment he gets there, he says, Brother Paul, I'm sent here to help you, bro. Look at the difference in attitude. It's changed in one moment. Do you know what Ananias' name means in Hebrew? Do you know what it means? Compassionate. Actually, excuse me, it means compassionate. And gracious. It actually means gracious. It's the, it's the key piece. Gracious. Gracious. God goes to Mr. Gracious and tells him to have grace on a man who's a murdering, thieving, you know, horrible person. And what does Mr. Gracious say? No. And he says, wait a minute, Mr. Gracious, you're going to go. And he goes, okay, okay. This is where the church has lost it. We stop being gracious. The same grace that was poured out on you and me Guys, I don't know about you, but I should be in hell. Uh, Listen, God delivered me and set me free. And you as well. He said, no, I grew up in church. Well, your parents didn't grow up in church. Well, they did too. Well, your grandparents, you may have a legacy and inheritance, but only because God had grace on your family line. He's had grace to sustain you when you you were thinking about running off anyway. Grace has been extended to us. Why can't we extend it to others? This is the piece that's missing. That's why we don't see miracles. When I was about nine or 10 years old, some of you know my story. My mom got pregnant with me when she was 16. I never met my real dad. He was in the same city that we were in, but I wasn't allowed to talk about him or ask about him. 
my grandfather had left my grandmother for another woman. <clears throat> and so my grandmother was a bitter lady. And so when my mom got pregnant with me and she had me, she was in an apartment with her girlfriend and raised me there. <clears throat> I, was, I, I grew up in the hood as a child. I'm the original eight mile. I just want to point that out. <clears throat> and so my mom moved in with my grandmother somewhere when I was about eight, nine years old. Give me a second, see if we can fix this. Lot, no, anyway, got closer. <laughs> and so, so my mom moved in with my grandmother and my grandmother, you know, had bought a little house, first time home buyer in her, in her 50s. And, uh, and one Saturday I was playing baseball with all the kids in the neighborhood at one of the little empty lots. And this man showed up in a, um, in a station wagon. And uh, for you guys that are younger, that's a utility vehicle. <laughs> the original utility vehicle. <laughs> and so um, he showed up and got out and had a bag of candy. He said, hey, kids, y'all want some candy? Come here. Well, I grew up in the hood, so I'm like, dude, that's a child molester. Y'all better not go over there. He's going to grab you and take, throw you. I'm telling you, he's going to put you in the back of the station wagon. You're gone. And uh, it's got, I'm telling you, you got drugs in that candy. Watch out. You're going to be like, oh, I'm telling you, don't do it. So I stood there and I, I stood, you know, away and watched them. And they all were eating candy and he was talking to them. None of them died. He didn't kidnap any of them. So I kind of moseyed on over. So I like some candy. He's like, yeah, yeah, here's some candy. He said, now listen, kids. He says, tomorrow morning we're going to send a bus around. And we're going to pick you up so you can go to Sunday school. I said, what the F in blank and GD is Sunday school? He said, Sunday school, son, is where you're going to learn about Jesus. I said, who the MF in blank and is Jesus? He said, you just need to get on the bus, okay? Just get on the bus. <laughs> I said, what time, what time y'all coming? He said, he said, 8 o'clock. I said, in the morning? Oh, no, so back, beep, I cussed him up one side down the other. I was like, there ain't nobody in their right mind up on a Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and all the church people at second service said, amen. Anyway, okay. And so, and so I'm telling you, they parked that bus out in front of my house three weeks straight. So I looked out there, man, and I noticed it was all girls getting on the bus. By about the third week, I was like, ha, ha. I'm going to church. <laughs> I got on the bus with all those little girls. Like, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? There was no competition, man. <laughs> man, I went to Sunday school, and that little lady, man, she preached hell. Boys and girls, when you die, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you're going to die and go to hell. And hell will be a place where the demons beat you all night long. And there'll be no moms and dads. No, just demons ripping your flesh off. And then the flesh will grow back and rip it off again the next day. And then she said, how many of you won't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And this was Church of Christ. And so Church of Christ, they don't believe you're saved till they want to baptize you. So she brought me to the pastor. She said, Pastor. This young man wants to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He said, son, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I said, sir, I don't know anything effing blanking about Jesus. I just don't want to go to the place where they, they beat you all night long and the demons rip your flesh off. He said, close enough, let's go. You couldn't do it in this hour. He took me in the back, stripped me down to my drawers, put a little, uh, a little robe on me. He'd go to jail these days for that, I'm telling you. Just... Because my parents didn't, my mom didn't give them permission or anything. They water baptized me. When I came out of that water, something happened to me. 
for the first time I was convicted. I didn't know how to serve God, but I was convicted. So when I go to cuss you, I felt bad about like, man, I probably shouldn't call you that. I don't know why I feel that way. But I just, here, I'm going to give this back to you. I don't know why I shouldn't steal that. That's bad. I shouldn't look at that porn, guys. Let's don't look at it. It was something that God came in my life. And then I got my mom to come. She got saved. Her boyfriend got saved. We became a family. My mom and dad went to the mission field. I've gone around the world preaching. I have seen literally, literally, for in my life, I probably averaged 3,000 to 5,000 people get saved a, a year for the last 20 years of my life. I literally, I literally, God has used me to change the world, friend. And it all goes back to one little man getting in his little station wagon and driving through a neighborhood, knowing. Don't you think he knew he looked like a child molester when he got out there? God, why do you have me do this, God? Oh God, I'm going to go to jail. Somebody's going. I'm going to get shot. Can I tell you something? They sent that bus for four weeks. The elders agreed to allow him to use the bus to pick up little kids in that one neighborhood. But they said, after four weeks, if people haven't come to church and the tithe hasn't gone up because of what you're doing with these kids, we're going to shut it down because it's a waste of money. Out of four weeks, there was one kid in my neighborhood that got saved. I'm that kid. And it changed the trajectory of my life. Everything about me changed because one little man got it his little station wagon and he stood out in front of some little kids and said you want some candy here I'll drive the bus and bring you to Sunday school and then they shut it down and I'm the only one I don't know that man's name I've never met him again I don't know who he is but one day Jesus is going to say hey come here one day in heaven come here this is the man this is your Ananias God's calling us to be Ananias for somebody. That man didn't go on to have a big name ministry. I don't think he ever wrote a book. I don't think he ever preached a sermon. But he went out there and one Saturday and reached out to a bunch of little snotty nosed kids with single moms and bad neighborhoods and said, listen, I want you to know there's a God that loves you. Just come to Sunday school and find out about it. And it changed my life. And it changed your life because I'm now your pastor which I would not be were it not for this man. This man, I don't even know his name. He allowed God to use him to be a miracle. God's calling this church, us individuals, to be miracles for other people. You say, oh God, I just pray for him. No, 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 just pray for him. Go be a miracle. Let me give you five ways. I think it's five, might be six now. (laughs) On how you can be somebody else's miracle. Yeah, there's six. Number one, Give your time to another for the chance at a miracle. Give your time to somebody else for a chance of being a miracle. Stay a little later at the office. Just have a conversation with them. I dare you this week to sit down and add up what you do every day. I've done that a few times over the last couple of years. I was embarrassed how much time I was wasting calling myself busy. What was I doing? I I dare you to check and see how much TV you actually watch a day. I dare you to just add up how many hours you're spending talking in frivolous conversations with people who don't even really care about you. I dare you just to take a moment and then at the end of that, see if you can't carve out three hours this week to be somebody else's miracle. Surely, 
24 hours a day, there's some time in there that you can carve out and say, listen, I've just been thinking about you. I've had you on my heart. And I know that you don't really believe the way I believe, but I've been praying for you. And I just want you to know this weekend we're doing an Easter service at our church. Man, if you don't have anything to do, I'd like you just to come. Paul Pineda asked Jonathan Pena multiple times. He said, no, no, and not only that, but heck no. And then the moment came in his life where he was desperate. And he said, I'm going to go to that place that Paul keeps talking about. And it changed his life forever. It dictated everything that changed. It it created this, this pathway for Pastor Jonathan to become Pastor Jonathan. It determined who he would marry the beautiful children that he has, and the young people, your young people that he's ministering to today because of Paul Pineda saying, come on, bro, come on, bro, come on, come to our church. You have no idea. Carve out the time. Here's the second thing that you can do to be somebody else's miracle, and that is you need to let go of what they deserve and just be gracious. You need to let go of it. Well, they deserve Pastor, I've had to work with them for 10 years. I hope they do get fired. It's about time they got caught. Listen, let go of what they deserve and give them grace. When Ananias let go of it, he was able to be a miracle to Paul. Once he let go of what Paul deserved, excuse me, Saul deserved, he was able to be a miracle and change Paul, excuse me, Saul's trajectory. Here's the third piece. And that is you got to be willing to go to the place of discomfort. you got to be willing to. I have pulled them out of bars. I have gone. Listen, one time we went to get this guy. He was, he was full-blown, in, 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 a transvestite. And he and his lover had been out on the streets the night before selling themselves to pick up men. And we went to the apartment. And literally he was so high. He was so high on cocaine that his partner had taken the doorknob off the door and went down to call the, call the medical uh, person, 911, to see if they could come save this guy's life. And we showed up by the time the partner had left, and there's no doorknob, and we're knocking on the door, and he's on the other side, ah, going crazy. And we're looking through the doorknob like, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, this is not comfortable. And we got out, and the, and, and the partner came back, and, he, and, and he's like, what are y'all doing here? He said, we're pastors. We know this guy. We're here to minister to him. We got a phone call from a family member said he's had a, a rough go at it. We just showed up. He said, oh, he's going crazy. And he had the doorknob. He put it in. We opened the door, and this guy, there, there were condoms everywhere. There were drugs everywhere. And we went down in the middle of that place, and we grabbed that boy by the head. We set him down. We laid hands on him. We cast the devil out of him. We ministered to him and prayed for him. That boy got saved, got right with God. His lover got saved and right with God. We began to disciple those guys, and they began to become fi- uh, men of God. All because we went into the place of discomfort. So, oh, brother. I don't want that to hurt my anointing. I don't want it to hurt my anointing. Well, if you do have an anointing, it's made to be brought into the dark places. Because light expels darkness. You and I got to get past the discomfort. The awkward conversations. I know we're all scared of them. Like, uh, 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 can, I, can I pray for you? We're all scared of that. I know. But do you understand it's in the place of discomfort that the miracles can happen? It's in that spot. We all sense it. We all feel it. Let's keep going. Thank God that Ananias 
went to Judas' house on Straight Street. Thank God. Invite them to fellowship with the Lord. Invite them to fellowship with the Lord. So he walks into the place of discomfort. There's Judas. There's all his buddies. There's uh, Saul and all his buddies. And he walks in and he says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, I invite you to be a part of us. I'm already calling you brother, even though you're not a brother yet. Can I tell you something? When I was a young minister, stupid, not head, an older minister began to call me, man of God. Every time he's around, hey, man of God. How you doing? Hey, man of God. Hey, man of God. Hey, man. I wasn't a man of God. But he called out of me what was my destiny instead of calling me what I was right then. And I've learned to do that. You, if you're around me, you'll see me do that. Hey, man of God. Hey, man of God. Why? Because I'm calling forth the trajectory of your life, not where you stand right now. He says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. <laughs> Go invite them to be a part of the fellowship of believers. Brother Saul, come be a part of us. Here's a second, last, uh, what are we on, four or five? Five, okay, medication's kicking in. <laughs> Number five, pray for them. So he walks in, calls him brother, brother Saul. He says, I'm here to pray for you for two things, that the blindness would be removed, that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prays for him. Can I tell you something? I have been around the most vile, wicked people in the world who hate God and hate me for being a Christian, but they've let me pray for them. People will let you pray for them. You just say, say, say I, I try to pray for waiters and waiters all the time. Hey, can I just pray for you? And I don't do it to be religious, sister. We're going to say a prayer over our meal. I know you have 25 other tables, but I want you to pause here with us. I, I, I don't do that, but what I'll do is I'll grab them as we go to leave or something. Listen, you've been so sweet and kind, and, 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 I, and we did tip you well, but I just feel like I should give you something else. May I say a little prayer over you? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be okay. Amen. And then what I'll do is I'll say a prophetic prayer. Lord, I just bless her. I see, Lord God, that she's working hard, and she's wondering if you're even there anymore. And then they'll start weeping many times. The power of God will come. It's time for us to be other people's miracles. We didn't go into this series so you and I can be selfish as I just want a miracle. I just need a miracle. No, no, we went into this series so you and I could be a miracle to other people. After praying for them, look what happens. Then you just simply watch the miracle happen. We don't make miracles happen. Jesus makes miracles happen. But he uses us. That's why I say, let's be somebody's miracle. Let's be the hand, the feet, the tool, the mouth that Jesus uses. Would you stand with me all across the room? You've been so gracious. I want you to stand with me. March miracles. Now I want to give you a bit of encouragement. Next Sunday, we prepared that whole message next Sunday for people who are away from the Lord. We're going to use Jesus' resurrection to do what Jesus meant it to do. And that is heal the brokenhearted, set at liberty the captives, to open the blind eyes. People that you are friends with, relatives, your own children, even your grandchildren. We're creating this service this coming weekend to be a place where they can see the truth, that the scales can fall from their eyes, the brokenness of their heart, the misunderstanding, their frustration with religion, 
their insecurity that they're not good enough to be a Christian. We created that service this coming week so that you can be a miracle to somebody, that you can get a coworker, a friend. We're going to testimonies of our own congregation and how God saved their life. And then I'm going to point them to Jesus Christ who's resurrected and been transformed our lives and will transform their life as well. And I'm asking you today to take on this message of be somebody's miracle. I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. And I want to ask you, can you carve out a little bit of time this year, this week to be a part of someone's miracle? I don't even know the man's name. I never saw him again. I don't know what he did with his life. But that one Saturday, he changed my life forever. He wasn't a good preacher. He was even kind of weird. But he was willing to carve out some time. I'm asking you this week to carve out some time to reach out to somebody. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, every man and woman in this room would realize that they hold within their person the ability to change the trajectory of someone else's life. That God, that they would understand that that coworker, that that person at that restaurant that they love so much that they always get to wait on them, that that kid that lives down the street, that kid who's always acting a fool and throwing trash in their yard when he goes by, Lord, that kid, he has their attention for a reason because, Lord God, they're called to change his trajectory. Lord, deliver us. Deliver us, oh God, from the frustration that we think all they deserve what they get. Lord, may we be gracious. May we be gracious, even as you've been gracious to us. I want you to begin to pray right now. Say, Lord, open my heart to somebody to reach out to. Open my heart. Open my heart. Now today, as you're standing here with us, Maybe you say, Pastor, I got to be honest. I'm away from God. I came to church. I I love God in my heart. But I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Listen to me, I got good news for you. Jesus died on a cross so that you could have grace extended to you. And he has been branded as arms stretched out wide for all of eternity. Because he's saying forever, welcome, come, come to me. That's what he says. He said, well, I'm not sure. Friend, don't leave this place unsure. He said, what do I have to do? The Bible says if you'll just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. By doing that, what you're doing is you're actually saying, I want to be his best friend. I make him the Lord of my life. All the heavy lifting's already been done. Jesus did it on a cross. You just have to receive. And then from there, he'll begin to transform your being. And so today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you say, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not right with God. I'm scared that if I died in a car accident this week, that, that I wouldn't make it to heaven. Friend, don't leave like this. Let me pray with you. I'll lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. And in that, all of heaven will rejoice. Jesus will hear that prayer. He'll respond to you and you'll be washed white as snow, the Bible says. So with no one looking around, who would have the courage 
to admit, I need God in my life. I'm away from the Lord. Who had the courage to say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't want to leave here like that. I want to leave this place knowing I'm right with God. If that's you in this place, would you let me pray for you? Would you have the courage enough to lift your hand and admit that and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I want to be right with the Lord. Pray for me, Pastor. I don't want to leave this place like that. Who would say, Pastor, I'm not right with God, but today I want you to pray with me because I, I want to be saved. And when I die, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Across this room, if that's you, quickly lift your hands up. And make sure I can see it, and I'll pray for you. And God will transform you in this moment, in a quick moment. Is there any? Is there any who would say, Pastor, pray for me? This is my moment to be right with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. None of you have lifted your hand. Which what you're saying to me is, Pastor, I'm right with God. I'm doing my best to serve him. Me too, friend. Me too. So let's go back to the title of this message. Let's be a miracle. I'd like to end with this. Would you join hands with that person next to you? And would you take a moment and would you take the next 60 seconds and would you pray that this week, this week they would be like Ananias and that they would reach out, that they would have an open door, a moment of prayer with someone who God has a plan for, someone that maybe they don't even like. Would you just begin to pray? You can pray out loud. Father, I bless every man and woman in this room. Lord, I pray that, Lord, something so significant would transpire in the next 48 hours that Lord you would give them a mental picture of the person that you're calling them to go to Lord God that they would hear the word go deep in their soul and then Lord God that you would deliver us oh God from the fear of the discomfort from the rejection that they may bring upon us oh God that Lord God that in that in that go you'll do miracles God we thank you we thank you for a church a body of believers who decide we want to make it hard to go to hell. We want to make it hard to go to hell from Cedar Hill and Duncanville and DeSoto and Grand Prairie, Arlington, down even the south as Waxahachie. God, we want to be your light in a darkened world. Lord God, use us like you used Ananias. And if, we, if, no, one ever, if no one ever calls our name, if we're never standing in front of millions of people, it won't matter because we'll be the ones who helped Saul get to where he was supposed to get to. So, Lord, it's this that we commit ourselves to. Lord, we ask you right now in Jesus' name, would you just pray for our Easter services, our miracle weekend? Would you just take a moment and pray that God would draw out people whose hearts are open, that God would literally pull in people who who are looking for transformation? Would you just ask the Lord to tug on those who have been blinded by Satan's schemes, that he would open their eyes? so they could receive him. Father, in Jesus' name, would you bless this weekend coming? And Lord God, would you give us, give us souls for our inheritance? Would you minister through us and to us? In Jesus' name.